Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast episode 141. As always, I'm joined by Jordan. Greetings and salutations, Jared. As always, I'm joined by you and happy to have you here on the show. I, I appreciate it. The warm sentiment is uh, is great to hear. No down this week, so it's just the two of us, another fireside groove. Um, I don't know the last time me and you did a fireside groove, probably like a month ago maybe? Oh, it's been a, yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah, so played a good amount of Sekiro this week. Uh, like, I, I, I try to avoid spoilers, because obviously one of the coolest things in not just the From games, but games in general with, like, boss fights is experiencing those bosses for the first time and not knowing what you're going against, right? So I yeah. kind of don't want to talk too much about the bosses I've fought against. But I, what I will say is there's a clear point in this game where there's back-to-back bosses that are arguably some of the tougher bosses in the game. And the only reason they're back-to-back for me is the way I decided to go about different areas. And that's one thing I will say Mm. about Sekiro is... So for the Dark Souls games, um, it is all interconnected, and there there is a lot of uh, rewarding experiences for exploration... But it's more of like an ongoing snake kind of shape, right? So it's like one distinct line that goes through. And there's shortcuts back to previous areas, but it's mostly just like a snake shape. There's optional areas, don't get me wrong, but it's like (laughs) one maybe at the beginning of the game, one at the middle of the game, and one at the end of the game. Yeah. Sekiro has, first of all, the the past section is is, uh, optional for a time being. And you can go through that area and finish it before you even get to the first boss in the current regular world um or you can wait until you feel you're better suited to fight and you have maybe more vitality and healing gourds and all that stuff as you progress in this game those options become more apparent in terms of the different pathing options you have to different areas and the main boss you're supposed to fight that kind of triggers the second half of the game, being as vague as I can, I got to him about 22 hours into my playthrough, whereas you can normally get to him about 15. But I went to all these other areas, got yeah. to the end of them, and they weren't. I wasn't able to progress in those areas anymore because I hadn't uh, been that boss. But yeah. I got to like almost to the end, if that makes sense. So instead of like immediately fighting him and then unlocking the end areas and then going to those areas and exploring and without any pause, right. I got to parts in those areas where it's like, oh, this will, items and stuff will happen once you've beaten him. So I've actually experienced that with Hollow Knight where, you know, exploring out into these other areas, I'll do as much as I can and there's certain things where it's like, I could do this, but I honestly like need this item, need to do this thing, whatever. Yeah. And um, it totally, like, changes your experiences, opens it up in a totally different direction. One thing I will say is, before we started recording, we were talking about concept art and, like, just the idea that sometimes it's wasted on no one's eyes because very few yeah. few, few people get to see it. Yeah. There's a shot in Sekiro when you enter an area, and I wouldn't say it's, like, the most beautiful thing I've seen on consoles this generation because, like... Red Dead's very beautiful. There's games that are very, very beautiful. But I will say it was like the most beautiful concept art type image, if that makes sense. 
Sure. Like, I could totally see where they got a concept artist to do this certain scenery for this area, and they implemented it in the game. And when you, when you find it, uh, when you walk into this area, it's gorgeous. Um, you know, something, some props I want to give to From Software for as dour and as um, kind of oppressive as their games may feel because you're so kind of um, you just feel like in danger and on edge at all times <laughs> yeah. uh, they have a lot of scenery a lot of gorgeous scenic views you know Bloodborne you can look out over uh, Yarnum and see these um, kind of step uh, st- like this like stepping up of layers of the city you know as it rises higher and higher yeah, and uh, there's so much. I know just in Bloodborne and the bits that I've played in uh, Sekido, it's like lots of scenic backgrounds. I think they have uh, they pay a little bit more attention than some people would because um, their atmosphere is a little bit thicker in their games than others might be. Uh, but from what I've seen of just like YouTube footage of the Dark Souls games that I haven't really played. Uh, I can tell it's the same in those games as well. Yeah, they really stepped it up with Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, and Sekiro. Yeah. Dark Souls 1 and 2 have it, but not to the breathtaking extent that the their latest three games have. Obviously, I don't really count Darasine and the, like, the main Which line from games, but... <laughs> makes It makes sense because you basically were just talking about the games developed on this generation versus the games developed yeah. on the last generation. And right. what I will say is, like we've talked about, I haven't played Bloodborne yet. I think it's my next... Whenever I have a gap in there's no new games, I think I'm going to try to tackle that next. Um, Out of all of the From games I've played, I've seen Bloodborne, um, obviously, but every From game I've played, there's a moment where I look back and I'm just in awe of the game that I've played so far. Like, they do such a good job of you getting to this point in the game where you can see all of the areas you've been before. And it's just like, it's incredible. Because you don't really get that in a lot of games. A lot of games are like hallway to hallway or you know even in uncharted games you rarely get a look back on areas you've been before 10 hours into the game you know right <laughs> to the area at the beginning yeah, that, of the game kind of what i was trying to describe with like the city of Yarnum, not just Yarnum, but it's like the their entire game is kind of like a stair step stacked on top of itself yeah um, kind of almost like mc escher type of deal where um it kind of turns in on itself to where you can almost be, not exactly, but in a lot of times you can be at any point in the world and see a totally different part that you either were in a long ass time ago or you haven't even touched yet. You know, I will say too, like From has a great art art direction department because sure. Dark Souls Three, Sekiro, and Bloodborne all have very unique aesthetics. And they all yeah. manage to make their environments and their enemies feel disturbing, but in the u- a unique way that is authentic to whatever the theme of that game is. Sure. It's really impressive. There's um, something when it comes to character design where it's like there's... Anthem's a great example. I've talked about how um, Anthem is along that timeline of like... Um, Mass Effect copying copy from Destiny, which copied yeah. from Mass Effect, you know, which is their game in the first place. Um, and so you have this like certain type of sci-fi feel that we've got going on in video games right now 
and Anthem's the perfect example of stuff that like the d character designs yes they look cool but they're also pretty familiar and not necessarily totally generic but just like not more unique generic yeah more generic more on the generic side than the unique side like you were saying so um you could never say that from us uh from software game you know and there's like it's cool because there's in other mediums there's like anime studios where it's like you're never gonna think that their character designs are generic or bland you know like every time they they come to a project they're gonna give that art direction department like you were talking about they're gonna give a special spin on it that's something only they could do you know and i really appreciate that about from uh, one thing I will say too, uh, before we hop off of the Sekiro talk, I, if I was a guessing man, I would say I'm about seventy percent through with the game. Um, yeah. I've made a point to like go to optional areas and fight optional bosses and stuff like that, so it's taking me longer than like a streamlined run through. Um, yeah, there's so you're the not, probably not gonna loop back around. Like once you're finished, you're probably done, right? Yeah, like I'm trying to like go to all these areas, collect as much as I can, level up as much as I can. And then finish the game. And I'll get back to it in a second playthrough, but trying to get the most out of it the first time around. Yeah. What I will say is there's a point in this game where you're introduced to a gameplay mechanic that completely changes the way you view this game. Hmm. And obviously, for spoiler reasons, I don't want to say what it is, hmm. but it was incredible. Because uh, it, it it's subtle in the way it changes the world, but it adds a whole new level of exploration to the game and yeah. the reward for going back to past areas that it allows you to traverse and find new places to look for items and stuff is yeah. really cool. And once you and Dom get to that point of the game, I can't wait to talk to you guys about it because we've talked about, you know, how from has this layering system in their games and they do a good job of implementing very strong combat mechanics very rarely is there a point in the game where I'm surprised at a mechanic they introduce. It's mostly like bosses or uh, specifically like maybe boss mechanics, but this is like a gameplay mechanic halfway yeah. through the game that completely shifts exploration. It's really great. Obviously, um, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, so I can't say for sure, but uh, playing through Hollow Knight right now, there's stuff like that, and I know there's stuff similar to that in Bloodborne. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that is definitely a cool thing. As long as it's not like, here's a new mechanic for this final boss battle, you know. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound like that's what you're talking about, but I, I don't like when games do that. It's specifically for uh, exploration and traversal and discovering more of the world. It has nothing yeah. really to do with combat or, or fighting. It's really interesting. Cool. Um, and I, I didn't see it coming at all. Mm. <laughs> really cool. Mm. Uh there's some really cool narrative twists in this game. Uh, obviously, we know that From tells a narrative in their own distinct way. And by no yeah. means am I saying it's turned into a traditional narrative experience. It's still very much From. But there are... It's, it's a lot easier, I think, for people to get a hold of the story. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's cool if they try out new things when, in terms of delivering a story to the audience. But there is still the typical... Hey, if you want to know more about specific characters, read item descriptions, yep. find these notes, look at these areas that tell a story all on their own, and that's all still there. It's just a little bit more of that commercial narrative guideline that uh, you want for you know a bigger audience. They can kind of 
tie into the story a little bit easier. But Absolutely. yeah. Danny O'Dwyer made a good point in his no clip video about how the item descriptions at some point in the description will just say, you know, heals you or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas <laughs> there's no um, kind of the hallmarks of their type of games is there's certain items where it's like people have to kind of just combine them with other things or do certain things with them to figure them out, figure out what the actual purpose of them is. So that makes a lot of sense. One thing I will say with this game too is. Though I've talked about previously how I love the side characters in From games, their specific quest lines a lot of times are not clear. Like mm. it's it, you have to kind of either like do a Google search to figure out what the hell you have to do, or like the be, dragon rot kind of thing. Uh, no, that's that's more of like I that you have to Google that. I'm talking more about the quest lines in terms of it's hard because you haven't really played. Dark Souls and I haven't played Bloodborne. So, yeah. um, but like, there's characters you'll meet in a certain area, and then later in the game, you'll meet them in a second area. And then if you do something specific through your gameplay, they'll yeah, either be yeah, at a third cool. area or they'll yep. they'll die by accident. You so, know, you didn't yeah, know. I figured even though we hadn't, uh, there were certain entries that both of us hadn't played in their Pantheon, we could probably connect because there <laughs> yeah. is definitely shit like that in Bloodborne where it's like, um, if I hadn't played Bloodborne like six or eight months after it came out, then I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it nearly as much because I did have that online database to go to that people had built up. Um, the information that I would need to actually get through those quest lines that you're talking about where it's like, yeah, you have to meet them at this church and then you got to go talk to them in the graveyard at these specific times. And then if you, you know... Yeah. Like, if you accidentally hit them with your weapon, they're going to hate you forever. But if you talk to them nicely and give them coins every now and then, then you're going to complete this quest, buddy. There's a, Which there's gives a... you a, an item that you read the description, you have no idea what it means, <laughs> so you have to just, like, touch it against random walls in the world until it works with something. So there's a character in Dark Souls 1 that... Uh, I forgot, her, I forgot what she exactly is, but she's the type of person that can uh, light a bonfire, right? And she doesn't have a tongue, so she can't speak. And she's a prisoner at the beginning of the game. And there's a character you run into in the game that is in a jail cell. And if you release him and let him go back to your hub, he's fine for about 80% of the game. But then when you fight, I think like the second to the last boss, you come back and he killed her. And he's just gone. And he killed the girl. So it's like some of that stuff is very uh, frustrating to a first-time player. I do think it's interesting to a certain extent, but what I was my original point with Sekiro is that it's a lot clearer with a lot of these NPCs. Yep. Um, they they give you defined items or specific quests that they're trying to complete. And it makes it a lot clearer. Obviously, it's not super clear, but it is worlds above, in my opinion, um, the NPCs in the Dark Souls games, at least, in terms of being yeah. very clear in what they want. Um, yeah, I I think I'll finish Sekiro by next podcast. I want to, because obviously we have Katana Zero coming up, which I'm really excited for. Um, which is going to be awesome to go from one samurai game to another. Sure. Uh, that's pretty much it in terms of what I played. I didn't play much else. I played some Apex, obviously. Nothing to talk about there. Uh, nothing new and interesting. Um, played some more. I got back into Magic the Gathering Arena. 
the digital card game. Having a blast with that. They recently introduced, uh, like, animated cards. So, like, full art cards with, like, animation on them, which is really cool. Because uh, normally it was just, like, the basic cards. So they're kind of like the rare cards to strive for, right? And kind of mm. give your deck some pizzazz. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. I'm thinking of if I watched anything interesting. I wanted to go see Shazam. See? Jeez, that's a tongue twister. See Shazam. But I didn't get around to it, so hopefully this week. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. What about you? So I have kind of paused on Sekiro for the minute, for the moment, but uh, I will be getting back to it. Um, played a little bit more of the stuff that I had already been playing, which uh, talked about last week, Hollow Knight and uh, Final Fantasy VII, both on Switch enjoying them as well um, and then <clears throat> I jumped into Borderlands the pre-sequel Jared this was sorry I was going to ask you which one this was but this is the one that came out this is the newest one right in the main line yeah technically okay. this is kind of like the closest thing we got to Borderlands 3 it's funny <laughs> because I keep saying you know I've said for so long like why the fuck did they not just do Borderlands 3 a while ago like they shouldn't have done Battleborn and, you know, this Borderlands 3 reveal is great, but it's not as great because it should have happened a while ago. And now playing the pre-sequel, I'm like, oh yeah, this was Borderlands 3. You know, this was basically what we got instead of a uh, sequel to Borderlands 2, a proper sequel. So, uh, the thing is, though, is I actually really like it, Jared. Ooh. Um, it is pretty cool because you're on the moon of Pandora. And you are um, able to... So you have a an oxygen mask, and I honestly thought it was going to annoy me, but uh, I've yet to die from lack of oxygen. I've been playing for several hours at this point. Um, there's plenty of places to, you know... It just, like, spouts out of the ground in some areas, and then if you go inside a place, then you'll get uh, revamped. And so there's plenty of areas to replenish your oxygen. Um, but I like the fact that, like, there's sometimes where you're out on the moon and, you know, you're utilizing that oxygen tank. And there's other times where you're inside of places and it's just like regular Borderlands. Um, the thing is, though, is uh, when you're actually in zero G, you can shoot around kind of like Destiny 1. Uh, but I guess that would have been a specific character, maybe? Because as a warlock. Could they all kind of float around in Destiny 1? Only the warlock had that, like, floating ability where, like, you floated and strafed a little bit. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's what it reminds me of, uh, Destiny 1 warlock. And um, obviously it's, like I said, 0G, so it's not super, super precise. But there's, you know, once you get the hang of it, you can kind of figure your way around it and uh, get it to... Uh, get your character to kind of move to your liking. Then on top of that, you also have a uh, slam move if you're up in the air floating, right? So you have an extra way to damage your enemies. Um, and there's new vehicles, and there's just uh, kind of a different vibe to the moon itself. So um, actually enjoying more than I expected to the uh, added aspects of uh, this new 
location that they've brought you to. Um, so there's that. Um, I will say, man, Jesus fucking Christ. The first time I played the original Borderlands, I did it with friends. They were like, oh man, you gotta check out Borderlands. Um, let's throw it in the PS3 or whatever. And, uh, you know, we did a little co-op, uh, started new characters, that whole thing. Um, the problem with Borderlands games, the three, uh, like, shooter games that I've played, 1, 2, and pre-sequel, is that they you start the game off, you know, the game's all about, like, it is kind of the birth of the looter shooter, and it is all about the random, crazy, awesome guns that you loot, right, Jared? Yeah. But the games start out, and you just have these, like, piece-of-shit Fisher-Price <laughs> Pea shooters pew, pew, pew. Pea shooters is a perfect way to put it. And it's not fun, and then the way that, like, I know at least in Borderlands 1, the way that you, like, have to wait to level 5 to even get your power-up ability. So it's literally just, like, doing the pea shooter for the first five levels, right? And I get that they're, you know, introducing you to everything, but honestly, for the first couple hours, first several hours, I should say, of all of these three Borderlands games... You don't. You're not feeling that awesome gun loot vibe that the whole game is known for and supposed to be about, right? So um, I ended up not really enjoying Borderlands One when I first hopped into it with some buddies, and then eventually came back around to it single player and got through that initial hump, and was able to appreciate the vibe that it presented afterwards. Um, but that's unfortunately present in this game as well as, uh, obviously, the first two games, um, which this one came out after Borderlands 2. Um, it sucks, man, because not only that, but, like, the first boss in this game is ridiculous because you just have your little pea shooters, right? And then, um, what's this guy's name? I can't fucking remember. Anyways, he is jumping around these platforms in this almost, like, kind of like weird stacked uh, level arena that he's in that's not very well designed and he's doing this thing that I hate Jared where he's uh, electrifying floors oh and <laughs> that classic move touch, god damn it and if you touch these floors like it will fuck you up right and of course he's got minions running around shooting at you as well um, so it takes fucking forever, and then I figured out, like, right at the end of my last run, that you could damage him a lot if you start using your slam move. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, but, like, they just, they bring up the slam move when you're, like, learning how to get around the world, and then they just don't, they're not like, hey, you should try it on this guy, you know? It's like, you just kind of have to figure that out, so that was really obnoxious. He took too long to to get through and then of course now like I said I'm over the hump I've got some decent guns I'm I'm on that uh, not even gameplay loop but kind of like that gameplay wave of like continuing to like upgrade individual parts of my loot whether it's my shield or my grenades or then my guns yada 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 so I've gotten past the initial borderlands hump if you will uh, but that's just frustrating that that's a thing, and I really 
hope that it's not a thing in Borderlands 3. I hope you kind of like hit the ground running and have fun from the get-go. Um, that specific yeah. thing you're mentioning, it's it's rooted in a lot of MMO elements to me. Yeah. Like the start off shitty and grind until you get some stuff that's like satisfying. And I, I've mentioned before, Borderlands just isn't a series for me. I've tried it. It just doesn't gel with me. Not saying it's a bad game. It just isn't for me, which is completely fine. There's going to be things out there that you don't like. It's just the way it is. And for me, I noticed when I was playing with buddies, because I didn't even buy it. It was uh, it was like um, when the first Borderlands was put on Games with Gold, like a long-ass time ago. Um, and I was playing it, and it just like, I'm... I'm not the type of person that likes the MMO type grind. I know there's people yeah. out there who like that's one of their the main features they look for in games because they just love that that dopamine rush. And yep. I do agree to like the likes of Destiny and the Division owe a lot to Borderlands because it did start the looter shooter. But for me the the grind in those games is different and it's hard for me to explain oh, yeah. just like just the feel, I guess. And yep. Even in Division and, and, and Destiny, your weaker guns don't necessarily feel as bad as the bad guns in Borderlands do, you know? Oh, yeah, the, dude. The, <laughs> Borderlands has, you know, when they say in the new uh, Borderlands 3 trailer, when they say, like, over one billion guns, they're not including the fact that, like, there's a lot of, one, <laughs> of guns and weapons that are straight-up trash. Filler weapons. Utter, yeah. Utter garbage. I mean, like, some of them, like, you would literally be better just throwing at the enemy. Um, and there's actually guns that you can do that with in Borderlands, which is funny. But um, And it's, I, I think if joke weapons are cool... Because it's like, oh, you get the joke, and then you probably never use that gun again, right? Yeah. It's like the just bad weapons. It's like, why? Yep. It's just and bad. That's the ones that you start with, and that you yeah. have to like try to uh, get your footing with. And so, yeah, I just I don't like the way Borderlands games start, but I really like Borderlands games. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, they're long enough to kind of get that taste out of your mouth. But um, I'm enjoying it. It's. Uh, better than I thought it was going to be. It's closer to the quality of Borderlands 2 than Borderlands 1, which I thought it was going to be more like a solid 8, like Borderlands 1, where it's you know closer to like a really great 8.5. Um, so, funny thing, this was developed by 2K Australia, and so all of the random NPCs are Australian voices. And it's oh, wow. fucking great, man. It's fucking great. Um, and they, in some ways, they lean into that. That's that is funny but uh it's just funny to for that to like be the world you know Um, and it works you know you're on the moon of pandora and um it's kind of like half the imperials and star wars have british accents it kind of just makes sense you know so um not something you necessarily have to explain so uh that is a funny aspect of it and then i'll also give them a shout out just to say obviously I already had the Handsome Jack collection from a while back, but <clears throat> this uh, Borderlands 3 reveal has uh, caused me to jump back in, as I'm sure many people have. And so they added uh, Ultra HD 4K textures and HDR um, in an update. Uh, it's not an update. Yeah, it's like a kind of like when I was complaining about uh, the 4K cutscenes not being installed on shadow uh war um 
you got to do the same thing here where it's almost like a free expansion. Um, which, Jared, this is connected to them not being able to like push out different versions of a game for the Pro and X and the base Xbox One and PS4. You know what I mean? How we've yeah. had this conversation of like, why is the base Xbox One <clears throat> downloading a hundred gigabyte Halo file? You know, or Gears of War four file? Like clearly, there's there's four K textures in there. Um, so, I think that's what that's connected to. This is this is I'm off on side tangent. Sorry, but it looks fucking great. Is what I was trying to get, fucking say. So um, with the HDR and the four K, this game. Uh, looks really crisp, and I'm excited to see how Borderlands 2 looks because they're you know pretty close in development time, um, which I think that's kind of just uh, closing thoughts for now at least on Borderlands pre sequel is the whole gearbox situation with them choosing to do Battleborn instead of Borderlands 3 and then doing uh, pre sequel on the at that point uh, like last gen consoles the new the next gen was already out um if they had just put this on ps4 xbox one from the start i think borderlands would be in a lot better position coming into borderlands 3 because it would have satiated people by the time this came out on the handsome collection handsome jack collection or whatever um i think it was a little too late so i think it would have been better if this had just been because it's a good borderlands game you know it's yeah. not like a shitty spinoff that you put on last gen um, and I remember hearing a joke, maybe it was actually serious, that that was one of Andrew Goldfarb's ideas while he was at Gearbox, was that, like, the old console still had some juice left in him or whatever, um, which would be funny. But anyways, I, I think that that would have uh, kept from Borderlands being stunted. Yeah, it would have been riding that wave from 1 to 2 and then to pre-sequel. It, it's... Yep. Borderlands is a weird place because it's still a hugely popular franchise, but like, yeah. it, it is weird. It's it's stunted. I think is the the appropriate but, way to put it. But just think about how easy that would have been. Like, no, we're just gonna do them on the new console, and like, yeah, people might think it's like a shitty spinoff, like some Kingdom Hearts bullshit or whatever. But then they're actually gonna play it. They're gonna pick it up because they want a Borderlands game. You got to realize that it wasn't like Borderlands Two was on PS4, and so. Dude, I bet that game would have sold so much better. And like I said, it is a good Borderlands game. So it's like, I think, like you said, the wave, it would have just been steady of Borderlands hype. And people also wouldn't have been fatigued because pre-sequels, you know, four years old or whatever. So Who knows? Gearbox, Gearbox. software, man. <laughs> Fucking great business decisions. Randy Pitchford, a round of applause for that guy, huh? Uh, speaking of interesting business decisions, you want to hop into this quickie news? I don't know. I, I should probably talk about stuff I've played for the next 20 minutes, don't you think? <laughs> yes, quickie news it is, Jared. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. I was like, uh, is this a setup? No, um, I, uh, that pre-sequel was the bulk of my play, so let's do some news. It's I've heard from, before we hop in real quick, I've heard from people who love Borderlands that that's surprising, like, their favorite entry, which has always caught me off guard. Wow. It's like, That's... not that pre-sequel games are, or, you know, games like that are always going to be bad or whatever, but it's just surprising, you know, because of how much yeah, people I love mean, 1 and 2. The, it has a shitty start, but it's not like you can't say that for <laughs> the the best Borderlands game, which is Borderlands 2. So, like, um, 
we'll see here by the end of it because I'm planning on playing two. We'll see if I get around to it uh, before three comes out uh, to replay it. But um, it would be interesting if that was like the crown and, and we're trying to see if Borderlands 3 can meet up to the pre-sequel, which <laughs> is a terrible name, but it's a Borderlands-ass thing. It, it you know, it kind of works, so whatever. I enjoyed Lion King, the pre-sequel, or one and a half or whatever the Lion hell it was called. Lion King one and a half, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the um, not the best, but still good. So speaking of interesting business decisions, uh, about a month ago we got the announcement of Nintendo Labo VR kit. We got the announcement that it was going to be 80 bucks, and people are like, oh, it's interesting. You know, Nintendo's going into the VR game. Makes sense for them to at least try, even if it is with their cardboard kits. Um, this week, they actually announced something new, some compatibility with current games. So on April 12th, uh, both Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey are going to be receiving updates for the VR kit. They're both very different. So for Odyssey, it's going to be mini-missions that are bite-sized bonus experiences. So they're going to be specifically tailored towards using the VR headset. So they're going to be separate from the actual mainline game. And for Breath of the Wild, it's becoming 100% playable in VR uh, with the ability to toggle it uh, at an instant, turn it on and off. Here's the weird thing about this situation, Jared, is because with Zelda, they're like, yeah, just put it in VR. You got it. And then with Mario, it's like, now let's make some brand new special experiences, but no more DLC. No <laughs> yeah. DLC. You get balloons and VR from Mario Odyssey, but we're not going to do an actual expansion. What in the fuck? I'm I'm upset. The interesting. So I think the these teams are working on the follow ups to both of these games, but it's yeah. interesting to see the difference. I'm not saying that putting a game 100% in VR is easy, sure. but Breath of the Wild is a slower-paced game than Odyssey in terms of like the camera movement and yeah. just movement in general, moving all over the place. So it's probably like a yeah. they probably did some testing and there was like some sickness with VR and Odyssey. But mm. my my optimistic take on it, Jordan, is that this is all they could do because their focus is on Super Mario Odyssey two. That's what my maybe. That's what I hope, anyways. Who knows? Yeah, the, so let's see here. Odyssey came out in twenty seven fall twenty seventeen. Uh, so yeah. if we get Odyssey two fall by fall twenty twenty, I think it would be worth it to skip an expansion. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know? That's I'm with you on, on that. Um it's gonna be interesting to see how this VR kit does. Who knows? We'll see. Nintendo trying weird things as always. Um Earlier we talked about Sekiro. Obviously, I'm getting towards the end, and you're taking a little bit of a break, and Dom's playing it. He shared with us a, a resounding moment of beating one of the bosses in our chat. Very excited yeah, about a, it. <laughs> a weird way to describe it, but okay. Yeah. Um, which is funny because that boss, not to go on too much of a tangent, doesn't fight like any other boss in a From game because it's an animal, so its moves are a little bit more sporadic. It's, it was very weird. It wasn't hard in terms of like a typical from boss being difficult it was just a weird fight because it's an interaction personally me in four from games i've never encountered a boss like it it was very very weird kind of what you're referencing if i'm right here is the fact that most from bosses are very punishing if they touch you they're gonna fuck you up but the thing about them is a lot of them go through like loops and cycles of certain like move sets, for yeah. example, 
And so once you identify those individual moves and how to either dodge, defend, or, you know... Counterattack. Fight against them. Yeah, yeah, counter against them. Then if you can execute on those different things that we just mentioned, then you'll be able to overcome the boss. But um, there is... There can... It's not necessarily formulaic, but it is... Um, it's all about pattern recognition. That's all. That's, right. Yeah. There you go. And with this boss, it's one of the first bosses in the game. It's not even a boss. It's like a mini boss. It's a bull. It's not. It, there's no pattern to it. There's moves it does, but it's never in any set pattern. Um, so it was a very, it was a very frustrating fight in terms of something I hadn't experienced before. But I liked it because of that. I was like, oh, this is something I've never experienced in a from game. This is awesome. Which and is cool that you can still have those refreshing new, you know. Yeah. Yeah, with from bosses, the thing is about their. It's all about how if they have any telegraph at all, like how they telegraph which move they're about to do, which attack they're about to to make. So, um, it sounds like this guy may not be as easy to read. Well, and the cool thing is, uh, again, I don't want to go on a super long tangent. There's a couple of specific bosses in Sekiro, more like mini bosses, and their whole thing is about. Uh, deflecting mm. and the thing the difference is if you if you're bad at deflecting or you don't want to <coughs> use it you're never going to beat this boss but if you're just even slightly comfortable with with deflecting or you're just working on it you'll they're super easy so it's a really yeah. cool mix of like it it's a boss set up to get you used to parrying right because yeah. it's the only way to beat that boss and it's it's really yeah. cool because once you know how to deflect properly they're literally some of the easiest mini bosses in the game. It's just the game telling you, like, no, just continuously deflect and you'll be 100% fine. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Sekiro, it's had some success in the sales market. Uh, the From games sell particularly well, but, you know, Sekiro with Activision behind it managed to sell 2 million copies in under 10 days uh, worldwide, uh. which is crazy. For reference, because I wasn't sure how this lined up in terms of From's history, it became the fastest-selling game in its history uh, because Bloodborne, in six months, sold two million copies, which was great considering it was a PS4 exclusive, less platforms, and Dark Souls 3 reached three million in six months. Obviously, third party came out on all the platforms. Um, not only that, Sekiro is the best-selling game on Steam this year. Um, obviously, the current sales champ for the year is Kingdom Hearts 3. That didn't sell on Steam. And uh, Resident Evil 2, it slightly beat Resident Evil 2 on Steam for sales. So, really impressive. Good for From. Uh, this, you know, this extra backing of, of sales yeah. success. I know Jordan's like, just K, hey, there's no excuses. You have all this money. No, Work no, on no. Bloodborne 2. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, Kingdom Hearts wasn't on PC. I just thought about that. And it's still, like, selling super well, yeah. Well, yeah, that's great and all, but, like, if you're going to expand to Xbox, why not PC? If you're going to stop it from being a PS PlayStation exclusive, like, why not go all the way, you know? Yeah. The way the way Square Enix <laughs> handles their games, we should just be thankful they came out on any platform, especially especially Kingdom Hearts 3, as long as people have waited for it. came out at all. Yeah. Um, it could so yeah. be, like, a UMD disc, and we, we'd be excited. <laughs> Man, those things were cool. I, I just like the way they look. No, no, they were not because they're like 
a disc inside a cheap plastic casing that can fall apart at a moment's notice, so, especially if you're a child trying to handle these things. <laughs> I'm not it's saying they're high quality. I'm just saying they looked cool. From like a kid's it perspective felt, of like looking at it, it's like, oh, that's cool. As an adult, I'm like, gross. It almost felt futuristic. But it was just yeah. like, they are so cheap. You know what I mean? It was like when you saw like the futuristic products on like a Disney Channel show that's supposed to take place in the future. You're right. like, oh, that Still looks like future. it's supposed to be from the future, but that was made with like the cheapest product you can get for the set. You know, very ugh. like when they when they would spray out a steak and fill the future from a can. <laughs> yeah, G- good reference. Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out to Front for the sales success. Can't wait to see what they do next. They're shout on a pattern of they're on a pattern of a game release a year. Uh, being selfish, I hope they continue with that, and hopefully we get their announcement for their next game at E3 or Game Awards or PSX or something this year. Who knows? Fingers crossed for Bloodborne 2 for all of those out there who are waiting for it. I, I'm over. I'm over looking for it. Like <laughs> if it happens, I'll be excited. But like, I will say, Jared, you know my theory that it's not a From game; it's a Studio Japan game. Because yeah. they worked on the original game, and it is a Sony-owned IP. And they are clearly doing their own shit. So, um, maybe Bloodborne 2 ends up being the same thing, where it's from, mostly develops it, and Studio Japan helps out. But, I could see, because of the fact that I don't know of anything that Studio Japan has worked on in a major capacity... Well, okay, I was going to say... Shadow of the Colossus, right, was their last big thing? See, I was about to say Gravity Rush 2, which was a while ago, but then Shadow of the Colossus remake would have been something that they probably helped uh, Bluepoint with. Yeah, so, they, were, they were involved, but to what extent, you know? Yeah, but yeah, that's a Bluepoint game, so I could see it, man. They could, like they could have been working on Bloodborne 2 this whole time. You know, I could see it. So The, the crazy thing is we could get Bloodborne 2 next year, and some people think that that new uh, Bluepoint game is a Demon Souls remake, yeah. which would be interesting because I never got to play Demon Souls. So, um, Speaking of games that could possibly come out next year, there was a job posting uh, for, at Sucker Punch Games. This isn't like a rumor or anything. It was just an int- it was a slow news week, guys. Give me a break. Um, but there was a... Some people are, are wondering what this means. There was a job <laughs> listing for a narrative writer on Ghost of Tsushima specifically. Um, obviously, when people saw this, they're like, whoa, does this mean Ghost of Tsushima is farther out than we expected? Now, that is possible. That's not, you know, we're not ruling that out necessarily. But this can mean a variety of things. Just a couple of quick things I wrote up. It could be a punch-up. A lot of times, uh, companies and game studios will bring in writers to fix a script or change dialogue in certain scenes. And kind of just, you know, when they get their in, um, their reviews that they get from people they bring in, they'll be like, oh, the dialogue is kind of off. It's kind of corny. It doesn't make sense. This isn't clear enough. They'll hire writers to come in and fix those. So not necessarily full-on narrative changes, but uh, dialogue changes. Um, it also could also be for DLC. Uh, obviously, people are like, I want the whole game on the disc day one. But in order for that DLC to come out in a timely manner after the game's release, they need to start working on it around the time that they finished or are close to finishing the, the mainline product. Um, so it comes out in a, a timely manner. I know you're ex- excited for Sucker Punch. You've waited for their next game, Jordan. Sure. We shouldn't be worried about this, right? I'm not. I just think this is a, you know. No, I mean, unless I'm 
wildly mistaken. I think that the main structure of a game's uh, narrative, at least a game like this, would be, you know, part of the production that would finish earlier yeah. than everything else. Than the actual, you know, hard-nosed game-making. Um, so, similar to concept art in, in some ways. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is either cleanup or possible work for DLC. So, the one thing about uh, us as, you know, interested gamers looking at um, job postings is that it's all speculation and a lot of times I'm sure it may not be as quite as significant as uh, we might want it to be. I'm yeah. not saying that's the case here, but just thinking about like uh, Monolith Soft. Um, obviously it's big that they're hiring for a new Zelda game, but we have absolutely no idea anything beyond that. So, um, pure speculation at this point, you know, I, at least with that example. But with this one, I would say, yeah, either clean up or DLC. It's, and, it can't be the, the main narrative. I think the attachment to these type of things, too, is because it's an industry that's so secretive, way more secretive than even the movie industry, yeah. where we know about projects two years in advance a lot of times. Um, so when any little bit of information, even if it's has no meaning to the final product, it's just a talking point to talk about something we've we're wondering about, right? Whenever the next Rocksteady tidbit comes out, when is their next game coming out, you know? Jesus. So it's so secretive. Um, lastly, on the quickie news before we hop into the big topic, um, PSN name changes went live on April 10th. Uh, along with the release announcement, PlayStation provided a list of games with known compatibility issues and a list containing over 25 to 30 games. Uh, a separate list called Games with Critical Issues uh, which had about 15 games, also provided, uh, also provided, uh, contained several uh, issues that uh, were anywhere between the loss of in-game currency to loss of game progress to trophy progress to even scores in a game. They're all over. And, you know, people were excited they can finally change their names. But the big thing is with these critical issues... They listed all the games that had critical issues, and they explained what the critical issues could be, but they didn't specify. So, for instance, Onrush was one of the games on the Celeste Jordan, and they listed Onrush as a game with critical issues, but I don't know if when I log into Onrush, am I chancing losing in-game currency, or am I chancing losing progress, or am I chancing losing trophy progress? Like, I don't know what specifically the critical issues are for that specific game. Now, the counter-argument to this would be, well, maybe they don't know either. Well, if they're listing him as having these issues, they would know which specific issues are coming up in which specific games. Um, mm. And it is a bit of a nitpick, but I think for people who own these games, it's a risk you're taking, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but if I can get into a game and there's a potential for loss of in-game currency, that doesn't necessarily matter to me on a lot of multiplayer games as it does to, like, game progress you know in, an, in a game that's like your save file that's your journey through this game so weird there that they were, didn't clarify necessarily there's also a third list that I didn't mention that was games uh, that don't have issues um, so this was Uncharted 4 a, a, a lot of games it's like 50 plus games so the bright side is that there's more games without known without issues as there is ones with but the clarity I think is where they kind of could could have been a little bit better um and the other thing i was telling you before we started recording is that 
an interesting thing with PSN is that whenever you change your ID, your PSN ID, you keep your old one. It doesn't go into the ether and become free range, uh, you know, prey for anybody out there to take it from you. It's always free attached to your <laughs> free range prey. Order, pre-order now. Uh, <laughs> any Anybody can't take that from you. You can revert back to that and change back to that, which is cool if you're just experimenting with a new PSN ID or whatever because you finally have the chance to change it. But it limits the creative choices for people because, you know, when PSN first started, people took, like, the very simplistic, clever, or cool names. And because those are attached to the account forever, they're never going to become free, you know? There's only so many names out there. Exactly. But Scratcher69 is going to be with that guy forever. But Scratcher. Um, Yeah, I I know you, you weren't needing to change your PSN ID, right? No, I've, uh, I've been Thunderhawk42 for years and years now, Jared. And uh, the only difference being that <clears throat> moving from 360 to Xbox One, I had to make a new account, uh, Thunderhawk42X, because I could not get into my pass or my account for the life of me. And... Microsoft, at that point at least, uh, was not great with um, their forgot your password system. Yeah. You could get into kind of a loop, unfortunately. Yahoo's so, bad at uh, that too. I, yeah. I, I've never been able to get back into my Yahoo Gmail or Yahoo yeah. email Gmail. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, that wasn't necessarily too much of an issue. Um, not like my. 15 grand in gamer score I'm not like crying over that especially since Xbox isn't my main console so yeah, yeah I've been um, I've had the same PlayStation account since um, getting my first PS3 I think at this point oh the memories yeah because because Jared I still have the digital um, games on my library that they gave for free after the PSN outage Oh, wow. <laughs> what yeah. a callback. Including um, What Up, Infamous One. Hell yeah. Speaking of Sucker Punch. Because you got to pick. They actually gave you a choice of multiple games. And it was like, you know, you get to pick maybe one or two AAA games and then a couple indies or whatever. And all of, like, they had some good choices. I think that I might have gotten Dead Nation uh, on PS3 as well. So, yeah, that was that was a cool little bit. But anyways. So let's hop into this last topic. Uh, it's something Jordan's wanted to do for a little bit now. We've had these yeah. rumors of the Nintendo Switch Pro and also the Mini. And oh. there's stuff we want with this new Nintendo console. So we're going to be yeah. talking about our dreams and wish list. And I think an interesting way, considering it's just me and you and Dom's not here, we can go back and forth on a feature or an aspect of it that we want changed. We'll go back and forth until we kind of run out. Um, okay. So for me... So can I have a disclaimer real quick? Go ahead. I, uh, I've done this before, like, kind of upgrading Nintendo consoles. Like, I have a 3DS, new 3DS XL, uh, so that I could play the, like, what, two games, uh, that you can play just for having that console. I think Xenoblade Chronicles is the only one that I know of. But anyways, um... I've gotten, you know, PS4 Pro and gotten slim versions of consoles before. Um, there are times where I think it's, like, truly worth it. There are other times where it's, like, 
it just works out to, to do the upgrade, you know? Yeah. Um, but for Nintendo specifically, no matter what our wish list is, Jared, I unfortunately, like, deep down believe in my soul that it's possible and even probable that we'll get at least a Switch Pro. And I also think that it's most likely that it's not going to be nearly what we want it to. It'll have a couple cool features uh, that'll be kind of enticing, but I think overall it's not going to blow our socks off, unfortunately. That's just my prediction and my guess. So uh, these, this wish list is not something that I'm like actually getting my hopes up for. <laughs> exactly. Therefore, therefore, I'm able to kind of uh, be a little more imaginative, maybe. Yeah. So my first thing... A better D-pad. Uh, that's all I want. Okay. Obviously, that's not all I want, but that's like my so, personal. D-pads are weird. Like some people like the connected ones, some people don't. You are you asking for a connected one? So my dream, my you know, ed, you know, in the Let's pie see. in the sky would be the uh, uh, D-pad like the Xbox Elite controller, right? Where it's like a half dome kind of thing. That'll never happen. So what about the Pro controller? The connected Pro Controller. Connected uh, D-pad on the Pro Controller. It's good, but I don't think it feels as good as the Xbox One, which is kind of the same thing. I think the Xbox One's a little bit more clicky, you know? The X- the main Xbox One uh, D-pad is garbage clicky to me. It's so clicky. It's not as bad as the 360 D-pad, which was just wonk. But, uh, yeah, I don't like... I honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Microsoft D-pads. Now, I can't say about the Elite. I guess I could look up a picture, but I've never played with... It's like a half circle. Xbox um, yeah, I just, I don't... Oh, it's kind of that, like, it looks like a satellite dish almost? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, people love that D-pad. Apparently, it's like the God's gift to D-pads. Obviously, that would never happen because it's a $150 controller. From um, the D-pad heavens! <laughs> I just want a connected D-pad. I don't like the separate button D-pad. Um, so I let's always... say that they just gave you, like, they took exactly, took it off the Pro Controller and put it on the actual Joy-Con. I would like something better than that, but if we're talking realistic, if they were to do it, it'd be that. They'd take the one off the... that's what you've got already. That's what you know. Exactly, also, yeah. since we're bouncing back and forth, can I go ahead and bounce? Yeah, go ahead. Let's just say, I would love it, since you brought that up, I think it would be great. Let's say we get a Switch Pro, it's a little bit bigger... And then the Joy-Cons that come with it have this D-pad and these buttons. Because these buttons are a little bit bigger. Actually, quite a bit bigger than the actual Joy-Cons. And um, that would be perfect. I think these buttons are like perfect size. There's, they're like, there's no technical regulation, right? But they're like basically the size of a DualShock 4's face buttons. And... Um, I like this D-pad, actually, Jared. Uh, I, I don't... think... So, your buttons... My thing is, I don't necessarily know like what D-pad you could give me that I would like more, other than, obviously, probably the God's Gift to Directional Padrons. Yeah, um... It's, like, mushy for me. I don't know. I'm very particular in a weird way It is a little mushy. It. It's um, a little bit mushy, but, like, DualShock's disconnected one is also kind of mushy because here's the thing about that people don't realize about the DualShock D-pad is it's connected it's just underneath Underneath, the (laughs) casing so that they it's literally for um, like trademark purposes 
yeah. uh, like patent purposes that they have to separate their D-pad. So technically it's connected, but it's underneath the shell of the controller, and that ends up making it a little more mushy in my mind. Um, yeah, it's... So that's the thing, as I think there's not necessarily a perfect D-pad unless you're willing to... Shell out maybe so the, much money. Yeah, maybe the Elite... Uh, D-pad isn't that much more expensive. Maybe there's other components to the controller that add to the price. But um, if we just got those two pieces transferred over from the Pro Controller, I think that would be pretty solid. Uh, I, I agree with you. Bigger buttons would be great. Uh, adding to that, uh, grippier thumbsticks. I would like that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the thumbsticks on the on the Joy-Cons. They're not terrible. The they're not terrible, but like they're not grippy enough for me. Like, I like a little bit of, like, I like a little bit of texture on the joysticks. That way they... So... Well, my hands I'll are getting sweaty. This is, this is probably never something that I would ask for simply because I'm so used to already buying uh, stick covers for all of my... Yeah. There you can see it. Uh, for all of my video game consoles so I already have this one has the uh, the thing and this one doesn't there I see what you mean sticks it's have gotten grippier sticks have gotten grippier over the generations yeah. they're know? not like, terrible that's been something. but just a little, little bit more grippy so when well, my hands clearly, are getting sweaty you know, I, I felt like I needed to add something to them so I agree uh, yeah I don't have too many more things for me uh, so really? yeah uh, the the thumb, the joystick grips. In terms of like stuff on the outside, we can talk about performance and all that stuff too. But sure, sure. So Jared, I talked uh, last week a little bit about the bezel. Let me turn. The Ooh, that's on. one of my last things too. <laughs> so if you look at the switch, let me take the Joy Cons off. Is this valuable? Can you see what I'm doing? Uh, yeah, but it, the thing is, it'll show up in video, which so it doesn't matter if I can. I'm showing. It. I am showing it to my iPad, which is yeah. recording. So. Um, this is the switch by itself, obviously, and if you just took off the black edging around the screen, and you had the screen, which is, there's still another bezel right here, right? There's still, like, more edging around the outside. I think that would be perfect, because that's around, you know, four different sides of the screen. That's a lot of screen. I agree. That's so one I of my biggest complaints. Be... The bezel is too thick. And then you don't thick. have to change the size. It's like the same... You could make the same uh, weight, you know. You don't have to worry about it being a heavier screen. And that's my only thing is, like, if they just made, like, a, a much... Like, a Switch XL, how would you incorporate Joy-Cons? Because you're either going to have to make larger Joy-Cons... <laughs> yeah, <or> like, longer... <laughs> Or it would almost look like, remember when you would put a Game Boy Color cartridge into your Game Boy Advance <laughs> and it would just stick out the top? Yeah. So that's what this would be, where you have a Joy-Con that only goes <laughs> so far up the screen. So I don't know. I don't know how you would do that, but I do want a bigger screen. I would be okay with bigger Joy-Cons, but I will say, for a person that has notoriously large bare hands... Um, I am constantly, like, the Xbox One controller is fucking awesome, except it's a little bit smaller than the 360, and that fucking sucks for me. Um, it's just a little bit, like, uh, more petite and slim. It's like it kind of went on a diet or something, whereas the DualShock 4 is actively larger than the DualShock 3, and uh, more 
much more. Uh, Doesn't feel like I'll break it when I hold it, which is great. Yeah, it's much more <laughs> contoured. Uh, yeah, the shaping of it is, which is way better. So, um, with that being said, yeah, it's surprising to me that the Joy Cons, uh, you know, people talk about the small buttons, or if we're talking about, you know, what would the size look like for an XL version. I'm actually not that concerned. Um, I would love, and I don't necessarily know. I don't think this would. Sh- really change anything with games but if you had actual triggers that would be really cool if we're talking about like pro you know stuff yeah because like you were talking about it's important to us you know because you and i were talking about possibly playing trials on switch and you broke it down for me that it's not going to be the same experience because your triggers aren't traditional triggers that we're used to at this point in the game they're buttons is yeah. what they are in the shape of triggers because they click in and click out and playing Hollow Knight I've been listening to myself dash and hearing the spring I'm like gosh this is like really kind of not janky but it sounds very hollow you know no <laughs> pun intended um, yeah. and really springy too it's weird but um, I would like like to see that um, there's if you don't mind me jumping in real quick because I have just a small bit to yeah. say so the two biggest things that'll get me most likely to upgrade as soon as possible would be smaller bezel because, like you said, you get a bigger screen without sacrificing the, the size of the design currently, right? Yeah. So you don't have to worry about making bigger Joy-Cons. And the other thing is battery life. Like, if the battery life yep. is, is substantially longer and there's the bezel is way smaller, those two things... St- by themselves would get me way more interested in buying the pro right away. Um, obviously it wouldn't be an automatic buy and I'd love other things, but those two are like, for me, my, my two most important, the, the bezel and the battery life. I can live with the mushy D pad, whatever the, the joysticks can be not as grippy. It's fine, but battery life and bezel for me are important. If they didn't improve any of that stuff, I would still be okay. Like you're talking about the, button size, yeah. joystick, all that. I'm cool with all that. Uh, my biggest thing is, like, yeah, when they originally started talking about the battery life for this guy, it was a little bit disappointing. But um, I was also just talking with a friend last night about the fact that it's really just a couple of air vents. There's one on the top, and then there's a couple on the back. And uh, you're holding a console in your hands, you know? And it's not overheating. It's not even getting hot, you know? Good point. So, I've never really thought about that. It doesn't really get hot. It's extremely impressive. Yeah. And so when we're talking about these hardware things, specifically, you know, a better battery life, which usually means you have to have to put a larger battery in, um, heat is a big uh, part of the conversation. So... Um, I will just say kudos to Nintendo and props to them on on that aspect. It may be difficult to to do anything there, but I would still like you know if they could, I'd like to see a better battery life because it's just on that edge where I've, it's never been an issue for me because of the fact that um, I'm you know I I have a case that's large enough to fit like a good charger that can charge while I play as opposed to some of the other ones um and then on top of that i'm never you know 
usually not that far from something that could I could plug into, even if it was a vehicle I was traveling traveling in. So um, that hasn't been an issue. But I will say, even just sitting at home playing it in my lap, and I've got something on the TV in the background, I have to be conscious of it. And when I decide to set the switch down for a minute to go eat something for a while. I'm making sure to plug it into the charger so that it doesn't die on me next time I pick it up. You know, it's something yeah. that is like I do have to be a little more conscious of than I'd like to be, like to have to be. And so uh, that is something that I think they could work on. And I feel like it's probable that they would do something with the battery, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know about performance. What do you think about performance, Jared? Um,. I'm not the performance guy. Like, obviously, I, if it's, you're calling it the pro, I would hope it's better than the current Absolutely. one. Absolutely. I want uh, better performance. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'm not particular in anything. Like, you can, honestly, like, you can sell me with battery life, small, uh, like, smaller bezel, and then a, a good, a reasonable upgrade. It doesn't need to be drastic. It doesn't need to be PS4 to pro or Xbox to Xbox One X. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, but I wouldn't We're mind talking it. Talking about the like AAA Nintendo exclusives, they're never gonna look as good as a AAA PS4 Xbox One game, right? Oh no, I don't think. Well, but yeah, if they could knock it up to 1080 60, whether you're playing Zelda, whether you're playing Snipper Clips, and whether you're playing handheld or on your TV, just I'm looking at 1080 60. That would be really dope. You know, that would make this a pretty bad to the bone fucking handheld console. Because it's like, no, Breath of the Wild is not Horizon Zero Dawn. But it's like they've got, given you this console that you can take anywhere with these awesome experiences. And at this point, you'll be able to play them like 60 frames per second, crispy 1080p, as good as it's going to get for the circumstances we're looking at, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is, like, the Switch is such a good piece of hardware that they don't need to, they don't need to, and they won't because it's Nintendo, but they don't need to try to pull out all of the tricks and go crazy. There are some specific things they can change and still get people excited for the Pro. I mean, knowing Nintendo fans, they could not change anything at all, really, and people would still yeah. buy this goddamn thing. But I think now, it's reasonable to, to expect some good changes like you said we're not going to get everything we want but ba ba the bezel thing i hope for but i don't know in terms of them selling to a younger audience how they want to manage that but like the battery life is huge for me and the performance in terms of third party partnerships we've seen how badly that's hurt some of the ports especially like mortal kombat 11 so yeah. 1080 60 would be dope yeah that would be so um, trying to think of any other. Oh, I mentioned the speakers. You guys were kind of giggling about that. I play enough with the speakers on just to kind of have so I can hear game music in the background. Yeah. Because I don't like hearing stories about certain uh, people that may or may not be in the Easy Allies that uh, play certain games on essentially mute and just kind of like cover them up with whatever they're watching in the background. Um, I'm certainly watching stuff in the background, be a podcast or Naruto, something like that. But uh, 
I still want to be able to experience Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, you know, when I'm playing it on my Switch, and I want to make sure that even if it's not full fucking blast on my surround sound speakers or in some badass headphones, I still want it to be as crispy as possible. I want the bass to carry through as much as possible, and I think I did mention this, that, you know, the technology has really come around recently as far as like especially with like small bluetooth speakers really being able to get a thicker sound out of those um so i'd like to see that i was really impressed when i originally got my uh playstation vita slim because for the size and especially of course at that time comparing it to the 3ds for the size of the console those speakers really pack a decent punch and they're extremely crisp which sony's known for solid audio uh for a long time now and i i'm certainly a believer in that but uh that was very impressive and i'd like to see nintendo do something like that because um yeah they're not necessarily known like i said coming off the 3ds and now the switch has decent speakers solid they're not like um I don't have a lot of like issues with them, but they're certainly like, like remember earlier iPhone or smartphone models where it's like this speaker is getting the job done, but it could be better. You yeah, know, it's that that you didn't splurge. Thing. It's a decent speaker. It works. Yeah, they didn't splurge. So if we're getting a pro model, I would like to see. It'd be cool if we had uh, four speakers. You know, two up top and two on the bottom, whereas you just have two on the bottom right now. But uh, we'll see. That would just be there's there's nice little like almost accoutrement uh, <laughs> that you would add here and there, uh, maybe a little more internal storage, um, maybe a button that isn't just snapshot, more like a regular share button, you know? Yeah. Um, but then well, that changes the nature of the console. So certain things like that, it's kind of tough when you're doing these like mid-generation upgrades so. so nintendo hope you're listening those were our nintendo switch yeah. pro dreams and our wish list we won't get any of them well we won't get all of them hopefully we get some of them um even if they're listening it's probably too late to yeah, exactly <laughs> i demand it uh yeah thank you guys for listening in terms of what we're going to be playing i'm going to be diving back into sekiro uh jordan i'm assuming more pre-sequel certainly more pre-sequel we'll see about what I do on uh, getting back to the Switch games. Jared, I should mention, I started playing a game on mobile. Mobile. Time to go mobile. Um, so I needed a game that I could play on my phone, of course, jump in and out easily, and I didn't want just a good mobile game. I wanted to play a good video game, right? And of course, there's games that have mobile versions like the Telltale stuff, um, certain games like that that work on mobile really like they are on our modern consoles. But then I remembered that there's also other older video games that have made their way over to mobile, some uh, more successfully than others, uh, because um, like certain Final Fantasy games have redone pixel art that looks not nearly as good as the original, which could have been left untouched. Um, but I checked and made sure that Final Fantasy Tactics was not going to be a shittier version, and it seems like it's relatively one-to-one. It's the War of the Lions version that came to PSP. Oh, cool. 
and the differences there are kind of like a Persona 4 Golden style where you get added gameplay stuff, characters and such. Um, and then um, the story is not necessarily changed, more or less refined, especially since it's an older Japanese title that probably wasn't perfected in its localization. Um, so I've, I think one of the things I read was that they kind of uh, gave the dialogue a little bit more of a medieval saturation um, which I can feel it definitely it's not like total Shakespeare where I'm like what the fuck are they saying but it also is like it's definitely a throwback I'm enjoying that part of it you know yeah um, so that part is cool and um, yeah man on mobile it's it's good it's a PlayStation 1 game that like I said was then uh, touched up for PSP and it works like you would want it to um you know places that you're touching to like move a character or you know attack this person what have you uh the ui works well on mobile um there's no real extra garbage there's uh, like a trophy emblem that you could click in the top right corner when you get to the title screen you know like with a square enix logo or whatever maybe like some uplay bullshit type of thing but it certainly doesn't come into play in the game at all. So it was, you know, 14 bucks on the App Store and uh, is seems to just be the game with a solid mobile port as opposed to some of the other uh, Final Fantasy mobile ports where they decide to meddle too much. So um, it is certainly a complex game. Uh, and I would say even more complex, Jared, if you'll believe it, than some of the modern strategy that I've been getting into recently. Oh, um, nice. Certainly overly complex in areas uh, where it could be refined, but um, nothing too crazy, and of course it's not like you need to know every single thing from the start. So, But it's also, I can appreciate the fact that like certain games I want to know a little more information than they give me, and that's certainly not going to be a problem here. Yeah. So... Um, I'm enjoying it so far. The story is involving, and it is good, old-school fantasy, you know, that that type of Final Fantasy before they really went. Um, the shift was with Seven, which I'm obviously playing as well, where they went um, really sci-fi with it. Um, they started moving a lot of them towards, like, steampunk type of stuff. So, um, or away from steampunk, I should say. So... Um, <clears throat> definitely enjoying that I'll definitely be playing more of that on the phone and then uh, yeah the other stuff that I mentioned so. nice thank you guys for listening if you can please follow us on uh, you- YouTube or we'll subscribe on YouTube um, on Uplay on Uplay subscribe on YouTube just search controlled interest on the search bar you'll find us uh, if you want to know when all of our uploads happen hit the bell notification lets you know when our uploads Get into your sub box. YouTube has a weird thing with the subscriptions where it breaks sometimes. So hitting that bell icon kind of gives you the best chance of seeing our uploads as they go up. Um, go to iTunes, follow us there, leave us a review. Definitely helps. Even one review uh, puts us up in the algorithm, in the charts, and people can find us easier that way. On Twitter, we are at CTRLINT. Uh, we tweet out the uploads. We tweet out interesting things happening in the gaming landscape across the industry uh, across the week. So follow us there. Our personal accounts, you can follow me at Jared underscore. You can follow Jordan at Melamotus. 
And Dom, who's not with us this week, you can follow him at Dom's Oreos. We'll catch you guys next week in episode 142. We'll be Men of Winter, and Dom should be back by then. So hopefully you guys tune in next week. Bye.